to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. I'm very excited to be here this morning. Uh, we're looking this morning at Second Philippians, specifically the first 11 verses. And when Murray asked me if I'd be interested to speak from Philippians, when I heard it was this passage, I was very excited. I was very excited. I just said yes straight away. Now, all Scripture is important. All Scripture is God-breathed. But especially in this case, I think if we listen to the Scripture, if we let it work into our hearts, if we get it right... The whole country can be changed. And if the whole church gets this right, this scripture, then the world can do nothing to stop God's church exploding. So let's get ready this morning uh, to look into the deepness of what God has for us in this passage. So Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Now, first some context. Paul's letter of Philippians is sometimes called the letter of joy because such is the warmth with which Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Paul and Silas first visited Philippi during Paul's second missionary journey, and this was the first city in Europe where they planted the church. Evidentially, the Philippian church maintained their good relationship with Paul, even sending one of their own, Epaphroditus, to comfort and assist Paul in Rome, where he was now imprisoned. And Paul knows that, just as he's been imprisoned for the faith, so too are the Philippian Christians under pressure for their faith since they live in a Roman colony that has no time for foreign Jewish religions. So at the end of chapter 1, Paul encourages the Philippian Christians to stand united in the face of persecution. And what follows here in chapter 2 
is Paul's explanation of how that unity is to be maintained and how humility is the key to the practical outworking of this humility. So first we'll just look at unity. God's desire is for his church to have unity. Specifically this morning, we're talking about unity at the level of the local church. But just for a second, imagine how much more credible the Christian message would be in the eyes of the world if the global church were united in fellowship and in our common confession. But as for, here, as for us here, we are the church with a small c. God desires unity for us as well. Now, Paul begins with an assumption. Verse 1 is a threefold question shaped by the Trinity. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, the Son, if any comfort from his God's love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, and by the way, the rhetorical answer for all these questions is yes. Because Paul knows this church. He planted it. He's ministered there. He knows that they experience encouragement from Christ. They know that they experience the comfort, the real comfort that comes from knowing God and being close to him. And they know they have the common sharing of the Spirit. And so it is with us too. The presence and the experience of God, that is the starting place for our unity. Community is God's design for us. Now, God has made us to be social beings. We see that in the garden, God made Adam and Eve. Adam couldn't exist by his own. And when we encounter God with a saving encounter, he brings us into a new community that he's created. And we call that new community the church. Now, one of the quirks of Western cultures is how people have become so individualistic that they think, Community is optional. I can do life on my own, but there's a community that I might like to get something out of if I want. However, the idea of being a lone ranger Christian, it's simply not found in the Bible. It doesn't exist. God's will for us is to be in communities of faith because there, firstly, we receive encouragement and support from others. But secondly, God wants us to support and encourage others with their lives. I think a lot of us have reservations about community in one shape or form because we've been hurt in the past. And you know, emotional wounds like that, it's important, it's real. But sometimes I feel that us hyper-individualists, we talk about community as if it's magic, as if it's a magical thing that can't help but make your life better. But in my experience, I found the reality more balanced. Uh, community always has give and take. There'll always be difficulties in community, but you will find there surprising depths of blessing. But the key for us, though is that even with all its difficulties, community is still God's choice for us. But let's not forget, this is not a generic community because we are a community full of purpose. 
communities might be based around your area where you live, a certain school your kids go to, or maybe a particular interest or hobby. But the common element of our unity is not like that. The common element of our unity is Jesus Christ. And that means we are far more united than simply sharing a particular interest, a particular hobby, or even a particular set of religious teachings. Because everyone here this morning is either following Jesus as their Lord and Savior, or they are exploring the possibility of following him. There could be nothing else in common amongst us. But if you love the Lord Jesus, then you belong in this community. And you have your place here. Everything this community does is for Jesus, and it is done in the name of Jesus, as if Jesus himself were the leader of the community of Huntley Baptist. And that's, says Paul, that's how we can be like-minded. When we are one in spirit, because we all share in God's spirit who lives in us, then we will be one in mind, because we all have Christ's mind for his people in Huntley. Now, notice here, though, that like-minded doesn't mean being in total harmony. We're not talking about having the same way of doing everything, and we're not talking about a harmony where no one disagrees with each other. Because believe me, I believe we'll find plenty of things to disagree about because we are so different, because the only thing that brings us together is Jesus. Our backgrounds can be so different, but we can be this community because Jesus is our center. And when we share Christ as our Lord, every other difference between us no longer matters. There's a saying in the Moravian tradition, which I think summarizes this really well. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. Now compare this to the world's way of unity. You know, there are two ways to create unity in this world. Number one, use force. Number two, have a common interest that you share. Now, both of these, they only last for a time. If it's by force, then eventually things will fly apart again. And if it's unity based on common interest, then when the interest disappears, then so too will the unity. It doesn't last. Take COVID, for example. We're a team of five million. We're united against the threat of this pandemic. Now, this is, this is true, but uh, how united are we? You know, I think if we didn't have the government who was placing clear directions about the nation's way of managing COVID, I don't think we would be united about it at all. And it's plain to see our current unity over the COVID response will expire once the threat of COVID has passed? Or do you think that this is big enough to unite everybody so they have a new feeling of responsibility towards each other after the pandemic? It might last for a little bit, but knowing the human heart, I think it's going to disappear uh, given time because it's not a permanent unity, because it's not a unity that reaches the heart and the mind. It's only a unity over common interests with our health. And now we come to the focus of the chapter of Second Philippians, verses 
three and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. And you know, this, this here, this is the secret to attaining unity in community. You see, true unity, it's impossible for the world to attain. Because it takes everyone having an inner attitude of selflessness, an inner attitude of love towards the other. And this only comes by living a life that is filled with the Spirit of God. And no one models this better, according to Paul, than Jesus. In fact, it's so important, this point, it's so important to Paul, that he emphasizes it to the Philippian Christians by quoting in the rest of the passage what is probably a very early Christian hymn. And in the hymn, Paul encourages us to think like Christ and imitate how he gave up his heavenly rights and became a slave in pursuit, in his pursuit of obeying God's will for him. And the hymn talks of Jesus not holding on to his equal status with God for his own gain, but instead humbly giving, humbling himself, and humbly literally means here emptying himself, emptying himself of his reputation and serving others like a slave would. Paul's point? It is the character of God not to jealously guard his privileges, but to give up his rights in order to serve his creation. So the secret to unity in community is that we imitate Jesus by giving up our rights in order to eagerly fulfill our responsibilities to each other. Now, you know what? Um, this is a serious seriously difficult thing for us to get our heads around um i don't know about you but i certainly struggle with it you know we we live in a modern world that is obsessed with the idea of rights for example right to freedom of speech or the un's declaration of human rights we tend to forget though that it's a double-edged sword every right has a corresponding responsibility or another way of saying that a corresponding duty for example, if someone has the right to life, that means the rest of us have the responsibility not to take that life. But Jesus shows us here that God's way is to ignore our rights, don't take them up, don't press them, in order to better concentrate on our duties towards each other. And I think it's supremely the supreme example is when Jesus gave up his right to living in order to press our benefit of living. And this attitude, it's, it's crucial for us to get to a level of deep commitment and unity, the commitment and unity that God is wanting for his church. It's so easily for us to be hindered by our own feelings of rights. And we really do have rights, but... We also belong to the king who gave up his position in heaven knowing that all his rights to kingly authority and power would be trampled on by a world that would execute him without a fair trial that he had a right to have and for a crime that he didn't commit. 
all because he knew that his death would secure the pathway for us back to God and to the fullness of life that God intends for us. So why do we struggle giving up our rights? Well, it's, it's emotional and, and experiential, right, from the past when you've remembered things others have done to you. And there's rational reasons too. We can talk about our rights for no end. But on some level, it's because we don't yet fully understand who we are and we don't yet fully trust God's intentions to us. And the key that unlocks the door of trust, says Paul, is humility. Now, humility is more than feeling a bit awkward when people say nice things about you. Uh, humility literally means to have a low opinion of yourself. To be humble is to lower your opinion of yourself to the place where it should be. Did you know that in the ancient world, humility was not thought of as a virtue? It was only until the Christians came along that people saw being humble as reflecting God's character. We can be humble and we ought to be humble because we remember our creatureliness before our all-powerful creator. We remember that he is God, we are not. He is all-powerful, we have some power but it is limited. He is all-knowing, we have some knowledge but it is incomplete. And we entrust our life into his hands because we recognize our limitations and our inability to run our lives in the way we know that we ought to. And we also remember the amazing love and care that God displays towards us. So humility is therefore the natural state of a Christian because we know that without God, we can do nothing. But also, we know that with God, we can do everything. And God puts the same kind of self-sacrificing love for others in our hearts that Jesus displayed. And through his spirit living in us, we are able for the first time to truly deny ourselves and consider our brothers and sisters before us. Now, just quickly, giving up our rights and humbly loving others does three things. First, it turns mundane service into divine service. Second, it helps us to forgive. And third, it is the engine of God's mission. Now, humility turns mundane service into divine service because we remember our creatureliness. We remember we don't need to be super Christians in order to please God or in order to serve God in any capacity. As, and even if we were to minister in a powerful way, we would find out it is actually God who is working through us. What really pleases God is having a heart open to him and daily being obedient to his will. And whether or not he takes us and he uses us powerfully for some special form of service, it matters little to us because we are just clay on his divine potting wheel. Amen. And the opportunity to give loving service to God that he delights in is no further away from us than the distance between you and the person next to you. It is the simple day-to-day -day obedience of humbling ourselves and serving our brothers and sisters that God is looking for. 
I think the best place for us to begin, actually, is within our own families. Because we might be able to scrape together enough humility when amongst our church family for one hour a week. But within our own family, we see them every day. And it's hard to keep humbly surrendering our rights by human effort alone. It will be a great teacher for us. Now, two, humility helps us to forgive. Especially to forgive other Christians. We have all been hurt by other Christians who should have known better. They did something, they said something, they failed their promises. And they should have known. Aren't they, don't they have the life of Christ in them? Humility, however, takes the focus away from our rights and their responsibilities. And it flips it around. Now we look at our responsibilities. We take the low opinion of ourselves. And we remember that Jesus bled on the cross for our sins and failures too. We remind ourselves that just as Jesus' blood covers our sin, it covers their sin too. And to demand payment of our hurts means that we are really demanding it from Jesus. Now what else can we do then but thank the Lord for our forgiveness and agree with him that they are forgiven too? God has paid a heavy price for our forgiveness and forgiving others. This is a great way that we can put into practice surrendering our rights and serving them. Now lastly, three, humility is the engine of God's mission. You may have heard uh, before of the Moravian Christians who settled with permission on the lands of Count Zittendorf in Herrnhut, Germany. And after being pushed out of Bohemia because they held Protestant beliefs, they settled in Hernhut and started there a continuous prayer vigil that lasted for over 100 years. Someone, at least one person praying continuously for 100 years. And something like that, that that's got to have some kind of powerful effect, right? Surely there's some, some amazing power of God that comes out of that, and there was. Because it is out of the Moravian church, they led the way in what is called the modern Protestant missions movement, where Protestant churches woke up and said, wait a minute, hasn't God sent us to the other nations around the world too? Don't other people who don't speak our language and don't look a bit like us, don't they deserve to know peace and joy and the comfort and completeness and wholeness and healing that comes from knowing Jesus too? So out of this 100-year prayer visual, the Moravians led the charge, and the first two missionaries, Johann Duber and David Nischmann, they sought to preach the gospel to the slaves in the Caribbean. But finding no passage, they offered instead to sell themselves as slaves in order that they might become slaves to the slaves. Now, personally, I'm not yet that extreme, but I really admire it. I see in Johann and David the same attitude of Christ. It's an attitude of choosing to surrender my life and giving up what may be in order to pursue the place that God has for me in his mission. And, you know, I seek to emulate that in my life too. That's why I decided to become a missionary. That's why my humility 
my ability to the God-given ability to say, Lord, I can't be the master of my life. Take me to the place that you want me to serve. And he took me to Germany to serve his church, to serve the missionaries that he sends from there. And he can do that with you too. It might not be overseas. Um, it's not a good time to go overseas right now, actually, by the way. Um, but whatever position in life God has placed you, he has a role for you. He has purpose for you. He has a place for you in his mission, in the proclaiming of the name of Jesus over this town, over this nation, over this world. So let's forget ourselves in pursuing the will of God for our lives. And we shall find when we do this together in unity, we will transform this town. We will transform this nation and we will eventually together transform the whole world. Now, let me just close in prayer here. Heavenly Father, I lift up the community of Huntley Baptist to you this morning. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts the willingness to sacrifice for someone else's benefit. Please forgive us the times when we sought our own gain instead of serving our brother or sister. And make our hearts ready to forgive those who have failed us in their love. Please show us the everyday acts of obedience that you have prepared for us. And may we grow in unity as we eagerly await the unity of your whole church in Christ that will be revealed when he returns. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church.